Happy Father's Day. For all you guys, I just want to tell you, this is your day, and I hope you have a great one. You know, I've been listening to Father's Day messages for a long, long time, for many, many decades. And frankly, I want to go a very different direction than I usually hear. Because what gets me about these two events, you know, in the year, Mother's Day, Father's Day. Mother's Day comes, churches throw rose petals on the thing. And they, they come in, and they, women are ushered in and given back massages. And then they stand up, and we recognize you. You give you all these flowers. And it's, you hung the moon, and you're the center of the universe, and it's, you know, we just worship you. And then Father's Day comes. We're not recognized. We don't get anything, except they bring a big, you know, truck of manure and dump it on us and blame us for everything. I'm tired of that, guys. I don't know. Are you with me on this, man? I am tired of this. So... So I want all the dads and granddads to stand up right now. We're going to start with recognition. Come on, stand up. Get your applause. We're glad for you. All right. Now, women get flowers. I tried to arrange for all of us to get like a cordless drill or something or, uh, you know, a gift certificate to Cabela's. I couldn't get it, but regardless, this is your day, and we're not going to go and trash men. I, I, I've tried to figure out what, what's the cause of all this stuff. Why is it that men are blamed for everything in the family and life and so forth? And I think it's because there are basically two stereotypes out there that are often transferred over to us Christian men. The first stereotype, and, I, and this, by, by the way, and I hear this from women. And I know I'm going to tick off some women today, but guys, do you got my back or not? Okay. First stereotype is women categorize us guys as a bunch of Christian Neanderthals. And they take all the characteristics of masculinity, they, act, they, they, they um, exaggerate them to the negative, and then just say, well, that's why. For instance, competition. They say, you're always competing. Everything has to be a game. You're always keeping score. Here's why. If somebody's keeping score, then you're supposed to play to win. It's that simple. If somebody is keeping score, play to win. They say, but then everybody, then you have some losers there. Yeah, they lost. They're losers. <laughs> We're winners. Next week they play us, they win. We're the losers. We take turns. And you just keep, it's competition. It's a guy thing. So what? Not that bad. <laughs> then they say, what about you and your cars? Why is it you have to have a car that is powerful enough to go 150 miles an hour when the, the, the best you can go on any street, you know, uh, uh, you know in a city is 45? And, and even out in the freeway, you're only going to get up to 75. You're not supposed to be speed. We don't want to speed. We don't want to break the law. The reason you have to have a car that can go 150 miles an hour so that you're not going to go there. But if you needed to, you want to know that it can. <laughs> it's simple. They say, you're all so aggressive. The reason that we have all these problems is you men are so aggressive. And everything, you know, you just run in it. You know, you just love to, you, you, you get the thrill of aggression. Yeah, here's the thing. We're men. We love to watch things collide. We just do. We love to th see things explode. We love the cause effect that you see when a, a boxer takes a glove and hits a guy in the head really good. 
or, or some guy with a helmet. Just We see the, what the effect of the impact is on a body at full speed. We love that. We love golf. Why? You put some, a, a, a ball on a stick, and you just hit it with all your might. We just to see the effect on it. We love that. We're hunters. That's us. You got to get used to it. And then you say, yeah, but, but it just seems so tough. I'll tell you, ladies, what's worse than having an aggressive man in your life is having a passive one. That's where you got problems. No, we're aggressive. And then you say, well, you're a bunch of brawlers. No, no, we're not. I'm not a brawler. I have lots of strong men friends, and none of them are brawlers, and they don't go around starting fights and pushing their way around. But you know what? There's some fights you can't walk away from, ladies. You just can't. When somebody's being outgunned, even if they're in the wrong, if the people outgunning them are handling them wrong, you've got to stand up to them. You cannot let bullies have their way. You cannot allow injustice to rule the land. You've got to stand up to it. And so, yeah, you can accuse them, but we're, we're really not that. We're not the, the stereotype of that. Well, then, if we're not the Christian Neanderthal, then we get. Then they say, well, here's another stereotype they bring up that they wish we were is a bunch of evangelical sissies. They try and make us into evangelical sissies. We want a sensitive man. I just wish he was more sensitive. And he'd like to take long walks on the beach with the kids, talking about Jesus the whole way. And do two-hour, three-hour Bible studies and journal his feelings. And worship like a woman. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's like Oprah dressed like a man. We are not that. We are not that. We don't want to be that. When I'm around people like the men like that, they creep me out. <laughs> we had a speaker, a guest speaker. He hasn't been here since. <laughs> He's speaking. And, and I remember when it was, and you'll, you'll understand why I put it in context. It was the last Sunday in August. And he was speaking, and, and somehow in one of the illustrations he talked about, he was driving to his office, and a pigeon had flown down in front of his car, and he hit this pigeon with his car, and feathers flew. And he, when he realized, he pulled over, and he saw the debris, and he had killed this pigeon, and he was so overwhelmed with emotion for this pigeon that he wept. Women were grabbing, I was sitting right over there. Women were grabbing tankies and dabbing their eyes. I'm thinking, it's a pigeon. It's a flying rat. <laughs> if you have a Mercedes, you use that as like a crosshairs on them. And here's what got me. It was the last Sunday in August. What happens on September 1st, man? What is it? Dove season. It's opening day of dove season. I looked across the church at one pastor in our church that I dove hunted with, and then a, a heart surgeon that, that, that was a big hunter. And I looked over at them, and they're just kind of like, what is he saying? <laughs> Do we have to become emasculated to be effective to you women? Come on. We're strong. We're tough. We, 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 we don't. We don't get into that kind of stuff. I mean, I get around these, when I hear women start describing men that they long for, like that, I, I go to total Star Trek, and I think, you know, I'm picking up unusually high readings of estrogen, Captain, set phasers for de -wussify. I mean... I mean, too many Father's Day messages in churches across the country blame men for being something we're not 
or blame us for not being something we never want to be in the first place. We're men. This is Scottsdale Bible Church where tough men and strong dads worship Sunday after Sunday and have been doing it for over 40 years. We have a pastor and elder board made up of a lot of tough men. Our senior pastor loves to get up at dawn on Saturday mornings. He does this almost every Saturday morning. He likes to find the biggest mountain he can, he can find. And he goes up that thing at full speed, you know, for miles like it's flat, like he's going down an escalator. And if anybody wants to go with him, you better have some oxygen tanks with you because he doesn't back off. We have a former professional uh, football player on our staff. We have a man, you know, on, on our leadership team of our church who was, uh, it was, it was play, played in one of the most thrilling festivals of all times. And he was center stage in that, cracking heads and taking names. We have lots of former standout athletes and guys who still love to shove their weight around on the basketball court or in a pickup football game. We have several former soldiers. Two of our pastors led men in battle in Vietnam. We have two West Pointers on our leadership team at this church. One of our pastors was in the 82nd Airborne, and one of our pastors was an Airborne Ranger. And yet these are the, the biggest collection of Renaissance men I've ever known. Yes, they're tough and they're strong, but they are the most red men. They, they, have, they, they go out there and they, they care about people. They give you the shirt off their back and they lay their life down for you. They stand up to evil all the time. They do not roll over and play dead and, 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 and let bullies rule the day. They just don't do that. These, this is a church that's always been about tough men, and I'm looking at a bunch of them now, and I want you to know that this is your Father's Day. We're not going to blame you for anything. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're the way you are. In Scottsdale Bible, place is no place for pushover men. This church has had a history of encouraging men to assume a clear and deliberate posture in the way they lead their families. And with all that said, though, none of us get it right all the time. We have issues. I wish I could get a ball hat that I've got issues. I have issues. I've had them all my life. I've worked through them. And, and yes, the ladies in our life remind us every once in a while about our issues, like our issue with our toys. You see, you go to the Bass Pro Shop, it just doesn't make any sense to come out empty-handed. <laughs> when Darcy and I got married, it, it, you only the upper, you know, the rich people did registries back then. The, the lower middle class, the poor, we didn't do that. We, we got married. We didn't register, but if we could, if I'd have registered at Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> Just give me a bunch of things, you know, those things. I like them. And then, then we, get, we get teased. We get, have to take junk about all of our tools. Here's the thing, ladies. When it comes to tools, redundancy is extremely important. Why have five screwdrivers when you can have 50? You just never know. <laughs> and, and I don't know about you guys, but when I go into my garage and look at my tools, I believe in mutually assured destruction. You need to have a chainsaw. I know we don't have any trees here, but you just never know. <laughs> you need to have a snowblower. You say, it's Phoenix. Yeah, but the, it's climate change. Every 200 years, it goes kind of goofy, and so when we get the blizzard, I'm going to have a nice, clean sidewalk and driveway. <laughs> and so, yeah, we get... 
And, and then we get blamed for being, you know, we, we tease our wives about shopping. But guys, here's reality. This is a true issue of us. We tease our wives about their shopping. And, and, and yet, a wife will go off all day long, go to eight, ten stores, buy a blouse on sale. Husband disappears for two hours, buys a boat. <laughs> and buys a truck next weekend to pull it. <laughs> Listen, the good news is, in spite of ourselves, men, God loves to draw straight lines with crooked sticks. He just does. He's been doing it all along. He can take these crooked sticks of our lives and he can draw all kinds of straight lines with them. And with that in mind, and with that in mind, what I want to do is let's pray and ask God as we look at his example from the Bible of how he's called us to be these kind of strong men. Lord Jesus, I thank you for every man, every father, grandfather in this room. I thank you for the ladies that sit beside them. I thank you for their children. I thank you for everyone in this congregation that wants to have a heart for you. And we are celebrating the role that these men play in their families. We thank you for them. Give us wisdom now as we look at your word and learn from it how we as men can emulate your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, we do worship a wonderful God, a powerful God. And Jesus was no pushover. And I think he has all we need to set the pace for us. And I'll tell you, I don't know about you guys, but when you played on teams, if you had an inspirational pace setter on your team, be it football team or baseball, somebody that just believed in the strength of the team, the cohesiveness of it, believed in you more, or maybe it was a coach or something, you could just, it's amazing how you could rise the occasion. And Jesus is that for us. I mean, you know, he was sent out in Matthew chapter 4. He went out into the wilderness for 40 days. He did not have a drop of water or a bite of food. And so he was basically probably skeletal at the end of 40, 40 days. He'd used up all onboard energy. And Satan stood back until he was at the end of 40 days of that fast before he made his move on him. He wanted him as weak as possible to go in there and try and tempt him. And yet he stood up to them in his weakness because he was not going to allow Satan to have the upper ground. I mean, if, if they had country music back then, I guarantee you Jesus would have listened to it, if not been a singer, because of the way he told stories, and the, and the stories came from the heart. I mean, he, he, had, the, he had the heart of a far, farmer, he had the grit and the tenacity of a fisherman, and he could tell these incredible stories that brought life down to right where they were. The parable of the sower, the parable of the mustard seed. And he was the life of a picnic. I mean, he went out there, the 5,000 people, they ran out of food, took a happy meal, and fed them all. You know, and he stuck up with people who were being outgunned, like that woman caught in adultery. Obviously, she was caught in adultery. She, she, had her, she had struggles that she was dealing with. He did not agree with her sin, but he didn't like the way those men were mishandling her. And he stood up to them and defended her right to be treated with in a just way, in a noble way, in spite of what they caught her doing. He had a tender heart for the down and outers, like that story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. You can just tell the kind of father he was. And he faced off with the Pharisees. He called them a bunch of whitewashed tombs and a bunch of snakes. These were the power brokers of his day. This is standing up to the people that had all the authority to snuff you out. But he stood up to them. 
And all those marginalized people back then, he was there for them. They marginalized women and children, old people, sick, injured, and poor. And Jesus was always there advocating on their behalf. He was a man's man. And he rubbed off on his disciples. In fact, look at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Peter and Jesus has ascended into heaven. He left the disciples behind. And Peter and John have really taken the, uh, the lead role there in, in, in proclaiming the gospel there in Jerusalem. And, and they are making people nervous right and left. And look at verse 13. When, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They saw the cause effect. These guys shouldn't be uh, able to be this bold, this articulate, this clever, whatever. But they were hanging around with that guy, Jesus. And he's, he's impacted them. Today we celebrate dads and granddads of this church. And God has given us a sacred trust and a timely honor of serving as point men for our family. A point man, if you remember in your military term, point man was the first guy in. He's the one that has to be, 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 have, have all of his sensory things up and looking for the enemy, for the tripwires, the booby traps, the snipers. And, and we're called to be the point men. Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4 says, By wisdom a house is built, by understanding it is established, and by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. And so if we want to have homes like that, guys, all we have to do is just take our cues from Jesus. And he can pull, help us pull off our responsibility with dignity and determination. It's all about living by faith and then washing that faith over with grace. In fact, let's put up here what, what I want our big idea for our time together to be. See, God has a way of making strong men tender and tender men strong. He has a way of doing that. His, his, our faith in him makes us strong. His grace working in us makes us tender. And you're going to see as we start working through our outline today of what I want to show you that, that the, the, the marching order we carry out is because we are trusting God by faith that he's going to empower us to do that. But it's tenderized by his grace. And so faith determines what we do and grace determines how we do it. And so with that faith and grace in mind, let's, let's take out our, our bulletin out. out outlines and let me walk you through three things we learned from Jesus in the way he led the people up close to him as we celebrate our role as tough dads with tender hearts here at Scottsdale Bible. It starts by looking at life through a grace lens and when you look at your family through a grace lens you'll find that faithful dads love sacrificially. Faithful dads love sacrificially. The love is what God empowers us to do, and we trust him by faith that he's going to give us the ability to love our children. But his grace says, I want you to do it sacrificially. John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13 says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Along the same lines, look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and, 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 and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
So Jesus gave his life up to us. He says, we're supposed to imitate God and do like him. We're supposed to live this sacrificial love for our kids. Now, loving our kids sacrificially involves two things. It involves receiving them as individuals with their own unique design and then releasing them into the future, uh, having developed a a God-given purpose into them and helping them pursue their dreams. In that, that aligns exactly with what Jesus did with his disciples. He, you know, he recruited these guys, and he only had three years with them. But in that time, he poured his, his sacrificial love into them, and he built this incredible purpose into them, and, 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 and he gave them a dream of this, of, this, of this church that he wanted to establish and take into the hinterland and every street and byway and village of life. And he gave them the orders to take it out. Now, I'm sure when he was leaving them and ascending into heaven, you know, it's, it's a lot like a father's feeling when you launch your kids into the future. You think, man alive, I've poured my life in them. You know, I, I hope they're ready. And the fact is, they had some rough decades. It was, it was tough going on the front side. And persecution came on them. And yet they, 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 they went after the course because they had had that example of Jesus. Psalm 127. Excuse me. Um, yeah, Psalm 127, verses 3 and 4 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. They're a gift from God. And the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. And so if, if you're a warrior and your main weapon is a bow and arrow, one thing you want to make sure you're doing, guys, with, with bow and arrows is you don't waste them. That you're very deliberate about it. You want, don't want to run out of arrows before you run out of adversaries. And when Darcy and I were raising our our four children, we were thinking of them that way. We're going to fire these kids into the future. We want to make sure that they're on target, that they can can go out there and impact and take on what's out there in the power of God. And and, and so we do that by how we live our lives. And, and, And see, part of that has to do with celebrating the uniquenesses of your children, of each child, and allowing them to be a one-of-a-kind, even when them being a one-of-a-kind, they're, they're doing things that are very weird and bizarre and strange and goofy and quirky. You know, we raised four children, and I'm telling you, you had to, they really tested our gag threshold. Um, uh, the way they dressed, the goofy things they did with their hair. But see... I had the fortune of being raised as a teenager in the 1960s. In the 1960s, it was just a really bizarre time. And we were the ugliest people ever went to high school. And we have the, 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 the yearbooks to prove it. My kids, they, often they look like they had been dragged to school behind the bus before they even got on it. And Cody went through a time where he spiked his hair and did it all different. I didn't care about that stuff. Darcy and I figured out a long time ago, don't worry about the external stuff. That's nothing. Don't worry about that. Just ignore it. Keep your focus on their heart. Just get their heart right. And everything else will fall into line in due time. And God makes them one of a kind anyway. They're just weird and bizarre, made that way by God. It's not a bad thing. Loving our kids sacrificially involves running interference for them and caring for their best interests. Sometimes you have to run interference for their friends. We, you know, you do that when your kids' friends come by. You have to stand and, and love on them too. And then that also means, you know, making sure that when they start to get into the dating age, that you run interference on their hearts on behalf of who they're dating. With my boys, I, I sat down with them and I explained to them, here, hey, look, you're going out dating. Here's how it goes. Guys, you keep your hands off that girl. You don't put them where they don't belong. And don't ever treat her like your possession or property. She's not your property. 
And don't take her places where she shouldn't be and, and where she'd be in danger. And, and if you're at a party and they start, uh, you know, pulling out the liquor, get out of there and get her out of there. And, you know, just treat them with respect. I did the same thing. We called them little come to Jesus discussions with the guys that would date my daughters. They'd come one day. Okay, let's just talk about this. Now I didn't get my guns out and clean them and all that stuff. <laughs> I could have, but I didn't. I didn't sharpen the axe. This isn't about bravado and chest pumping and, and all that stuff. We're not, I'm not into that. So I, but I wanted to know, we did not raise this girl by accident. She's precious to us, and we want you to treat her like that. We, and we want you to show respect, and I want her to show respect for you. It's just stuff that you had to do. Mike, my son-in-law, uh, before he married Karis, he had to come and ask for her hand. And he came by the house when he knew I was going to be there by myself. And he hemmed and hawed. He says, uh, uh, Mr. Kimmel, I was wondering if I could possibly talk with you about the possibilities of some time in the future, broaching the option and of the consideration that I might sit be, talk more specifically of, you know, he's going on and on, and not landing up. I said, do you want to talk about Mary and Karis? Yes. Yes. That's what I, and I said, look, Mike, when this girl was born, when we re I realized I had a daughter, I realized someday some guy's going to come along and ask for her hand. And I, I always wondered, what would I do when that happened? And I decided, first of all, he had to be in the area code of acceptability. <laughs> and you are. You're a fine person. And so the, the, secondly, what I decided is that I would have three questions for him. And so I have three questions for you, Mike, and I don't want you to answer them right now. I want you to go home. Think about them. Write down the answers. Now, you don't have to be prolific or poetic and, or, or verbose. You can be cut to the quick. I just want you to think about these and write down the answers and bring it back to me. Question, first question. Why Karis? Of all the girls you could spend the rest of your life with, why do you want to spend your life with her? Second question. Why you? Of all the guys she could marry and cast her lot with, why do you think this is a good match? Third question. What's your plan to take care of her? Should we give her over to you? Because, Mike, you've got to know something. This girl has lacked for nothing from the time she was born. <laughs> now, you're not where Mrs. Kimmel and I are, but we've been at this a couple of decades. You don't have to be where we are fighting against anything else. Because when we got married, we had $325 in our pocket. And get this, guys, a 1966 Pontiac GTO. Darcy made me get rid of it because she kept burning rubber and I had to get a Volkswagen. <laughs> but anyway, we had $325, a Pontiac GTO, and a plan. We had a plan, and we knew our plan would work. Write out your plan. He called me a couple days later. I want to meet you at Starbucks. I have something for you to read. And it was just great seeing him wrestle with those questions and come back to me with that. You see, we, we, a sacrificial love has to be deliberate. It's inconvenient as can be, but God can empower us, and he gives us the example. Look at the second one there. The second thing we learn from Jesus Christ is that faithful dads lead humbly. We lead humbly. In John chapter 13, verses 1 and verses 3 through 5, it was, just, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel. 
that was wrapped around him. You see, Jesus was setting the example that leaders are humble. That's the way they operate. And the obvious, obviously the biggest way to lead our kids is through a godly example and our character. And we get things wrong and we have bad days and we mess up and we need to acknowledge that and make no excuses for it and ask for forgiveness when we do. But for the most part, we can build that in there. And probably the best way we know of to get God's heart into ours is in God's, God's word is through his word, where we spend time with it. And listen, when I got married, I was in Dallas Seminary. I read the Bible, studied it every day, but I wasn't reading it for me. I was reading it for homework. And then I married Darcy. We get married and we start having kids. And Darcy was so consistent in the Bible. And she was always reading it. And I would start and stop and start and stop. And it took me a while. In fact, it was probably about 14, 15 years before I ever got where I thought, no, I, this has got to be a regular part of my life. So ladies, work with us. Be patient. We desire the best on this. It just takes a while. And God will help us there. And... and Deuteronomy chapter 6, great verse on this. These words, look at verses 6 and 7. These words that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall walk with them when you sit down in your house. So that's your normal daily work. When you walk by the way, you're going from point A to point B, you're in your car. When you lie down and when you rise up, and it's not that kids, we're going to learn about Jesus again. We're going to learn doctrine. No, 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 no. Kids don't want to hear that. They just want to see Jesus lived out. You talk about your relationship with him and, and uh, affect the word into their life when, when the opportunities come that way. And then God will really take this to a new level. He will. And then, along the lines, I'm looking at my, my time here. I, I, wanna, I just want to say here with this, too, that, that uh, when we lead, normally a good leader leads from the middle. When things are going well, you lead from the middle. But when all hell breaks loose, you step up front. And you see, sometimes it gets that way. And I'm not using that in a, uh, a metaphorical way. I'm talking about real hell breaks loose, where Satan comes at your family with everything. Look, at, look in uh, Luke chapter um, Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, verse 47, and then 49 and following. Look at this. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up. And when Jesus' followers saw the, what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. He touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guards, the elders who had come for him. And by the way, look at the, who they are. The priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders. These were the power brokers, and they were armed to the teeth, and they had the ability to snuff people out just because they could. He stood up to them. He says, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple court. You did not lay a hand on me there. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. You came to me in the middle of the night. He just stood right up and called them what they were. But you know what else he was doing? He was giving his disciples a chance to run for cover because they weren't up for this. They didn't know what was coming down. It was the time. And it was all, it, all evil was coming after him. And he let them get into the, the, the shadows where they would be safe. They would ultimately face incredible odds in the future with, with, with unbelievable courage. But that was not their moment there. Even poor Peter, you know, denied Jesus three times. Jesus even told him he'd do that. He said, don't worry about that. You'll, you'll do well. You'll rise above that. Last thing I want us to look at that we learned from Jesus is faithful dads serve enthusiastically. We serve enthusiastically. 
Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28, Jesus called them to himself. These are his disciples. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them, but not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes, whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, we need to, men, we, 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 we need to consider it a privilege to care for our kids and provide for them. And that's what I love about Scottsdale Bible because men come here Sunday after Sunday and they do consider it a privilege. It's not that they have to provide for their family. It's that they get to. It's not that they have to serve them. It's that they get to. And sometimes the, the service we have to do for them is tough. We have, to, we have to get in their face. We have to correct them. We have to, we have to discipline them. That's part. That's part. Of, of the process of serving our kids' best interests. And guys, just take some advice from, the, from a traffic cop when, you, when your kids mess up. When a traffic cop uh, catches somebody, you know, motorcycle cop uh, catches somebody speeding, he doesn't throw a temper tantrum and kick over his motorcycle and punt his helmet and go nuts because they were speeding. He just pulls them over and writes them a love note to the judge for a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> he's not shocked that they sped. That's why he's out there. He knows some of them will speed. When, diet, when your kids sin, don't be shocked at that. You gave birth to a sinner. That's what they do. When your kids lie, don't be surprised. How could they lie to me? They're, they're liars. You gave birth to liars. Just, just catch them. That's all. Just catch them. And then correct them. And it makes it a whole lot easier. Well, I've got I to gotta land the plane here. I, I just want to say something to the ladies here. Ladies, here's the thing. Dads want to love sacrificially. They want to lead humbly. They want to serve enthusiastically. But ladies, it doesn't help if you're behind a shovel and say, hey, you're supposed to love. You're supposed to serve humbly. You're supposed to lead humbly and, and shove it. Don't do that. If Darcy would have been pushing me on all these things, you're, this is your job. You're supposed to be doing it. You're supposed to be a spiritual leader. I would have resisted everything about that. It would just never would have happened. And don't stand to the side and say, hey, this is your job. I'm out of, you know, my job's over here. You do, no, 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 come alongside us and love sacrificially with us. Lead humbly with us and serve enthusiastically. My father, he, he, was, he was a simple man, but he was a good man, and he was a good dad. Uh, I wrote a book called Basic Training for a Few Good Men, and, and, and I finished it up, and then Dad died right afterwards. And so I, I, I wrote an epilogue to him called Taps, and I, I only read a few words from it as a tribute to him. I said, in the world's eyes, Dad never really rose above the rank of private. He served in uh, the 3rd Army, 10th Armored Division in the Battle of the Bulge with General Patton. He was a simple man from a blue-collar family who worked for other people most of his life. He sang in the church choir, bowled every Friday, tapped his feet to a lot of big band music and loved to spend his summer weekends in his camper. But when my dad died, he died a wealthy man because of the way he had invested himself throughout his life. He wasn't wealthy in the way most people determine bottom lines. He had little of this world's goods to his name the moment he died. Yet he was wealthy in the ways that matter most when you finally come to the end of your journey. He was rich in friends, he was rich in family, and he was rich in faith. Dad proved that you don't need a long list of academic degrees to be wise. You don't need a Fortune 500 resume to make an impact. 
You don't need gold-plated friends to be admired. And you don't have to be tall to be looked up to. You know, you know Father's Day is a great day because it's our little moment to, just to get a little pat in the back while we get, get right back into the game and stick our face in the next tackle. But that's part of it all. And I just want to applaud you guys. And say, but some of you are saying, oh, well, yeah, now you just did that tribute to your dad. That's, that explains why. You had a great role model. So, you, so of course, it's been tough for me. I didn't have any. You, you say, your, your dad maybe divorced your mom or he abandoned you or he died or something. Listen, you have every man in this room has all the role model we need in Jesus Christ. Look at him. He was tender to children. He was respectful to women. He, he was at ease around strong, determined men. He was fearless in the face of evil and hi, evil and hi, hypocritical people. And he was obedient to God. And that's all the role model any of us need. And it's all here in his word. And I just want to challenge you. If you felt like you got short-sheeted when it came to father roles, don't worry about it. You got all you need in Jesus. And so just, just recommit your heart to this man. And listen, if any of you need to talk with somebody, we'll have some people up here after, whether it's man or woman, young person, whatever. We always have people here ready to talk to you about how you can get close enough to God or closer to God, get to know him in a way that you can let his power work through you. Because listen, crowd, and especially you ladies, when it comes to our role as dads, look, we're, we're just, yeah, we do our tough stuff and all that stuff, but we're, we melt around those kids. We might be, well, we might be, tough little boys, but when we grow up to be dads, we just turn into big babies. That's all. I mean, we just love these kids so much. And so with that in mind, I'd like you to let Gary Allen sing you a little serenade about this whole thing as we close this off. I never once back down from a punch well, I take it square on the chin Well, I found out fast A bully's just that You've got to stand up to him So I didn't cry When I got a black eye As bad as it hurt, I just grinned Bowing tough little boys grow up to be dads, they turn into big babies again. Scared me to death when you took your first steps. Well, I'd fall every time you fell down. And your first day of school, I cried like a fool. And I followed your school bus to town Well, I didn't cry when old Yeller died At least not in front of my friends Oh, tough little boys grow up to be dads They turn into big babies again I'm a grown man, but as strong as I am, well, sometimes it's hard to believe how one little girl with little blonde curls.
kids, lead them, and serve them. Do it sacrificially, humbly, and enthusiastically. Happy Father's Day. God bless you.